we're going to be speaking to, today about um, something that is so incredible. Uh, chapter 15 of Revelation. Most Bible commentators, most theologians, and I, I'm neither one, put chapter 15 and 16 together. But chapter 15 is so majestic and so powerful that we're just going to deal with chapter 15. It only has eight verses, shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is easy to find. It's between the book of Jude and your everlasting future. It's the last book in your New Testament. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read all eight verses, since there's not too many verses to read, but it doesn't matter, because the third verse of chapter 1 of Revelation promises us a blessing if we read this book, and if we hear this book, and even a greater blessing if we obey this book, the word of this prophecy. Verse 1, chapter 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over the image, and over the mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for, they, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. I want to use for a subject taken from verse 2, the sea of glass. You may be seated. The sea of glass. I've always been intrigued by the sea of glass. Of course, the first mention of it is in uh, Revelation 4, verse 6, when the church is gathered on this sea of glass. And I've been so intrigued with it. And I've not always understood exactly what God is trying to show us, but I'm learning more every day as I kneel at the feet of Jesus Christ and I take his word. I'll give you the breakdown of chapter 15, only eight verses. The first verse is there's a sign in heaven. In other words, this chapter is taking us up into heaven and we're seeing what's going on during the great tribulation period. We're seeing what's happening between God, the angels, the church, and those that are already gone to be with the Lord in heaven. We're seeing a unique gathering together just before the last seven vials or the bowls of the wrath of God. If you remember, there's seven seals, and after the breaking of the seventh seal comes the seven trumpet judgments. When you come to the fourth trumpet judgment, you have three woes. And then after the fifth trumpet judgment, you go into the seventh trumpet. And the seventh trumpet, when the angel sounds, there will come seven vows or bowls of the wrath of God. This chapter 15 is taking us up into the presence of God and showing us how God is reacting 
not just the earth reacting, but how God is reacting just before the final deluge, final break, breaking forth of his wrath upon planet earth. Most people at this point in the scriptures, and of course this is a parenthetical chapter, this is just basically showing us some things going on during the tribulation. But most people toward the end of the great tribulation, actually almost um, everyone that's going to be saved will be saved by the time you get into the seven vows of the wrath of God, the bold wrath of God. But um, of course, Israel as a nation will be brought back to Jesus uh, at the end of the great tribulation. And so we're about to see the seven vows of the wrath of God poured out. And God wants us to see something in chapter 15. The first verse, he wants us to see what's going on in heaven. There's a sign in heaven. And then in verse uh, three and four, we see the sea of glass, or actually verse uh, two, uh, in Revelation four, verse six, we see the sea of glass is a gathering place. The sea of glass is a gathering place. You know, I, I've read the scriptures over and over again, and it didn't quite register with my spirit that it's actually a gathering place. The sea of glass, I don't know how big it is. It may be tens of thousands of miles wide and tens and thousands of miles long. It may be thousands and thousands of miles thick. It's a sea of glass. John described it in the fourth chapter in verse six, it looked like crystal. It was smooth and shiny. It was a floor, not for just looking at, it was a floor for people to assemble and see all around them the display of the glory of God. This sea of glass captured colors, captured the, the rainbow, captured the, the brilliance of the throne. For there at the throne, in front of the throne, is the sea of glass. And it is actually a place where people are gathering. Gathering from where? Well, the angels gather there. We will gather there one day when the Lord catches us up to meet Jesus in the air. And after we gather there one day to meet Jesus in the air, the four beasts and the angels will be gathered there, crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is yet to come or is to come. And so not only will there be a great gathering on that sea of glass, there will be also a great gathering of the saints that are martyred during the great tribulation. Those that refuse to take the mark of the beast. Those that refuse to bow to the beast and the demonic uh, commands of the false prophet and the, uh, and the beast the antichrist. Those that are beheaded. Those that are, die of starvation. Those that die of sickness and disease. Those that die because of the calamity that's falling upon the earth. Those that die that are sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ, they will go to this sea of glass and there they will await their liberation and their freedom to go uh, stand forth in a brand new glorified body in the future. Now, we as a church, we'll already have our glorified body and we'll be um, enjoying ourselves on the sea of glass. But the sea of glass has always intrigued me. As I said before, it is a gathering place. In Revelation chapter four, verse six, it says, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like an under crystal. And there was the four beasts, uh, the, the beast that had you know, the four faces of a man, an ox, uh, an, an eagle, a face, uh, a face of a flying eagle and so forth, had four faces. And so these beasts are incredible. In fact, these beasts are so incredible that they don't turn. If they want to go left, they just go left. They want to go right, they just go right. They want to go forward, they just go forward. They want to go backward, they just go backward and never turn around. Why? Because they got a face on every side. You say, boy, that's weird. They probably look at you and say, boy, you're weird. Amen? 
How many know every little squid in the ocean thinks you're pretty ugly? Mama thinks her little squid is beautiful, but every little squid in the ocean thinks you are just as homely as you can be. Angels probably feel the same way. And they are totally shocked at the fact that God made you and I after his own image, after his own likeness. Verse 2 says, And I saw, as it were, the sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image, over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now, you say, will there be music in heaven? Well, harps are not used for anything but music, and God's going to give people harps. It's called the harps of God, given to those uh, a harp in which they can play and uh, instruments under the Lord. The Bible says that it, it was given, uh, having given the harps, of, uh, the harps of God. I'm convinced that the Lord won't give me one. Because in my glorified body, probably won't have the training to play it yet. But it's amazing on this sea of glass, it's smooth, it's beautiful. It is like an amphitheater with everyone standing. Now, in chapter 4, verse 6, the four and 20 elders are sitting, and the four beasts are praising, holy, 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 guarding the throne room of God. Before that throne room of God is a group of redeemed people. I believe that there are the redeemed of the Old Testament saints as well as the church, as well as those who die in the great tribulation. Some will have glorified bodies, some will not. But remember, whether you have a body or not, God is the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. Are you listening to me? God's not the God of the dead. He's God of the living, meaning just because your body falls asleep don't mean you're dead. It means that you're going to face God who created you. And I want to face him in goodness and mercy. But it's like an amphitheater. Everyone is standing at this place in this chapter 10. Everyone is standing. Some have given their lives for Christ. By the way, everyone is saved by the blood of the Lamb. They're not saved by works. Nobody's saved by works. Someone said, well, didn't Je wasn't Jesus saved by works? No, he wasn't lost. Now, the works of Jesus Christ saves me, but no one can be saved by their own works. We're saved by the blood of the Lamb. That's why they sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, because He's merging the two together, and we're seeing something incredible about the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But I want to point out real quickly that heaven will be so spectacular that on this sea of glass gathering, perhaps tens of thousands of people, uh, when I say thousands upon thousands, perhaps billions of people there on that sea of glass, just a multitude that can't even be numbered on that sea of glass. And they're all on their feet, with, and many of them having harps, and they're singing, and they're praising God. Woo! What you don't see on this sea of glass is a platform. You see the throne of God, but what you don't see on this sea of glass is someone putting on a show. There's no one putting out a show. There's no one performing. Everyone themselves individually are performing in the presence of God from their heart, giving praises unto the Lord. It's a gathering together that doesn't require a man with quality or ability. It requires only the presence of God and the fact that Jesus, worthy as a lamb, Jesus Christ was slain for our sin. It's an amphitheater. Now, an amphitheater, I understand, has seats, but these seats are removed they're not there. There were seats for the four and 20 elders. And these people are now standing. And you know, the church can get so full of starch, it sits down. And when we get to heaven, some of us, you know, some be sitting on four and, the four and uh, 20 seats and uh, representing of the elders of the church. But how many know someone that just had their head cut off? 
just got delivered from the beast and the false prophet, they're too excited to sit down. Amen. Amen. I've got an idea that all of us will be too excited to sit down. Amen. Besides then, you won't need your sitter anyway. Hello. You can rejoice and praise God and give God glory. This gathering place is at the throne of God. I want to gather at the throne of God where the rainbow is. I want to gather at the throne of God where God is showing us his plan, his majestic power. Amen. I want you to notice something that is beautiful. They sang the song. The Bible says that they had gotten victory over the beast, that's the Antichrist, and over his image. And over the mark, that's 666, or the mark of the beast, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And verse 3 and 4 tells us that they sing a song, actually two together, a song unto the Lord. Now, the song of Moses, let's look at it just for a minute. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of, of saints. Who shall not fear thee, uh, who shall not fear thee, O Lord? In other words, everybody needs to fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name. For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Now they're singing the song of Moses, but they're also singing the song of the Lamb. Now you say, well, what is the song of the Lamb? Well, the song of the Lamb is actually in chapter 5, where it talks about that they got together and sung a new song. Chapter 5, verse 9, they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book, open the seals thereof, and who was, who was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood and out of every kindred tongue and people and nation. It's actually Jesus Christ claiming possession of planet earth because the devil stole it and Jesus come to redeem it. The devil deceived the world and Jesus comes to bring truth to set us free. So it's the song of the Lamb. Victory in the Lamb. Notice it says they, they had gotten victory, verse 2. And here they are on the sea of glass. Now, let me just quickly, because it's important that you understand the sea of glass somewhat. The sea of glass not only was like an amphitheater for people to get together and, and worship and, and they're giving God praise, and it's huge. I, I don't know how big it is, but I guarantee you it's bigger than anything we've seen on planet Earth. And, and it's thicker than anything we've ever seen on planet Earth. The sea of glass, incredible. What's beautiful about the sea of glass is the sea of glass has reflective power. It's reflecting what's going on in the universe. The sea of glass reflects, notice it says it was mingled or looked like it was mingled with fire. So I, I understand here probably as we're worshiping God on the sea of glass, you're going to have a panoramic view of all the devastation on planet earth. You're going to have a panoramic view of all the fires and all the burning and all the judgments that are taking place on planet earth. And the sea of glass is reflecting all that all around us, around our feet or to our side. And everybody's giving God praise and they're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Judgment has come. True and just are your judgments, O God. And as they stand there and they see the reflections of all that's taking place on that sea of glass, they shout even the louder, thank God I'm not there. And those that lost their heads and those that have been killed by, by the beast and those that have went through such hellish times, they're going to thank God they're not there. They've been overcome by the blood of the lamb. They, they beat the devil uh, head on. That Nothing can kill them because Jesus Christ is in them. Aren't you glad nothing can kill you because Jesus Christ is in you if you're a Christian? Woo! Praise the Lord. Don't just sit there. Feel something. Now, here they are gathered around. 
and they're worshiping God. Not only did the sea of glass have reflective ability, but it has amplification ability. So the songs will be so amplified that they probably will hear it in the next universe or the next solar system. The, the music will, how's that for loud music in church? It'll be so amplified that it will ricochet and probably feel the Milky Way. How's that for a Milky Way? Amen? Best Milky Way I can think of. And the music will be so amplified that it will echo across the, the, the time and, 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 and space and glory will be given to God because he's worthy. No one's, put, uh, no one's performing just God is there, and everybody is so intoxicated with joy and love and power and worship for God, they begin to sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Now, I want to point out something. When they sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb, the song of Moses is, is, is found in, in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 15. The song of Moses is uh, a beautiful uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, it is continued in ex Exodus uh, chapter 14 and 15. And so there's, there's rejoicing. The song of Moses is when they came out of the Egypt. Let me point out something. Please hear me because this is important. Moses went to Egypt. Israel was in bondage. And God used a Moses to bring them out. God used Moses to bring them out of the land of Egypt. But because of the blood of the Lamb, God uses his son Jesus Christ to bring the church out of Egypt. Not only that, they sing the song of the Lamb, the possession, the taking place of the title deed of planet Earth. And so as Moses was to bring them out of Egypt bondage or bring them out of Egypt, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, is going to come to earth and save them in Egypt. He's going to destroy the pharaohs of the world. He's going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to usher in a millennial kingdom where the saints of God, the people of God, Israel, will be with Jesus Christ and King Jesus and David will rule for 1,000 years. And so there'll be peace and joy come to planet Earth because King Jesus comes riding upon a white horse in Revelation chapter 19, coming to conquer. And in righteousness, he doth make war. And he, do, he doesn't save Israel from the world, he saves Israel in the world and displaces the power of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, in the world. And all the evil will be crushed by the sovereign God of the universe. Boy, you missed a chance right there to shout glory. You missed a real good chance to just get beside yourself. And so they... they, they they sung the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Um, in fact, Psalm 103 verse 7 says that God made known his ways to Moses, but he made his acts or his works known to the children of Israel. So the children of Israel knew the works of God. They saw the works of God but Moses knew the way of God. And you're not fully mature in the Lord till you understand the way of God. Most of us just follow him because of the works of God. But when you get to the place where you understand the way of God, the ways of God, then you become a mature child of God. You see, our way is not his way. He high, he's a higher level. Remember I said Wednesday night, that sometimes God will allow something that he hates in order to achieve that which he loves. Sure is quiet in here. Last place, I was, last place I was at this quiet was the dentist's waiting room. Not even the library is as quiet as the dentist's waiting room. 
But it's like an amphitheater. They're praising God. How many want to be in that choir? Woo, I want to be in that place. And I will be. And so will you. Amen. I'm going to see if Josh has got a harp. By the way, a harp, according to King David, was the only thing that would soothe the nerves of a lunatic king by the name of Saul. Harp music settles your nerves. Some music I hear today gets on my nerves. But thank God for the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. And so they sing and worship the Lord. Now, there's something that I really feel that we need to see about this, these songs. In these songs, there's three things that you see in these songs. Song of Moses, Song of the Lamb. Notice in verse 3 it says, Marvelous are thy works. Marvelous are thy works. Isn't that beautiful? Lord God Almighty. Then the song says, Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. And then in verse 4 it says, For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. So you have three things in this song. You have God's marvelous works, God's just and true ways, and worship, God's worth. Worship means worth. If something is worth something, people tend to worship it. And so I thank God for the works of God. I mean, you know, you can go outside and look up at the sky and see the works of God. You can look down on the ground and see the mess of man. But anyway, I'm just saying that when you, when you look up at the stars at night, you see the works of God. But you'll never see the works of God the way God wants you to see it by looking at the stars or gazing at the moon or the sun. You're going to see the works of God the way God wants you to see it by reading the story of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's where you really see the great works of God. Then you see the ways of God. We worship God because of His ways. And then we give God glory because of his worth. How many would agree that God is worth a whole lot? <laughs> That's, I feel like a heel just saying that, worth. I mean, you can't put a price on God. Stop and think about how incredible God is and, and look at the worth of God. How could you put a price tag on eternal life? How could you put a price tag on forgiveness of sin? How could you put a price tag on the creation and the universe that God has created? You can't. It's beyond description. It has nothing to do with materialistic things. It's incredible God. He's worthy. I say God is worthy. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our sacrifice. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our songs. He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy because uh, he's a worthy God, an incredible God. We must worship him, worthiness under the Lamb, giving God glory because of his works, his ways, and he's worthy. And he is worthy to praise God even in the midst of judgment, all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Now, let's go back for a minute. We're on the sea of glass. We're the church. We're on the sea of glass. The four and 20 elders represent the church. You've got the four beasts, angelic beasts. They, they, they're going, holy, holy, holy. And they're guarding the throne room of God. The throne, the throne room of God is so powerful that, that you could get within probably 200 million miles of the throne room of God. How many have ever been around a power plant, an electric power plant, and it's full-blown buzzing? Anybody been around a power plant? It's full-blown buzzing, amen? And you got signs on, stay out. High voltage. Well, that isn't to t protect the power plant. That's to protect you. And these four angelic creatures are not there to protect God. They're there to protect all of creation. Don't come too close. You get within millions of miles of the throne room of God, and I think you hear that. The power surge. 
And here we are on the sea of glass. We're in our glorified bodies at the church, but there's angels everywhere, a myriad of angels. There's Old Testament saints. They're not in a body. They're, they, they're in spirit body. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on the sea of glass. They're awaiting King Jesus to go back to earth and give them a, glor- a, a new body, a glorified body. They're awaiting Jesus to come and set up his thousand-year reign on planet earth. We're there on the sea of glass. We're looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're there on the sea of glass. We're looking at uh, those that had died before the church and those that died during the church from years gone past to the time of now. We look at great saints of God like D.L. Billy Sunday, Charles Wesley, Martin Luther. We look at great preachers of D.L. Moody and, and Charles Spurgeon, great preachers. And some of you won't like me to say this, but Billy Graham, great preachers gathered on that throne at, at that incredible uh, crystal uh, sea of glass and we're singing and we're worshiping God and we're giving glory to God and nobody cares that D.L. Moody's beside them. Nobody cares that Abraham's beside them. Nobody cares that Billy Graham is in the crowd. Nobody cares that Peter, James, and John are in the crowd. All they care about is the, the power of God, the surging power of God, the Lamb of God, and they can look down at the sea of glass reflecting the fires and the wrath of God and the judgment. It's just like a panoramic view of the judgments of God that are coming. And God says, the temple's full. And now the temple begins to empty. Angels begin to come out of the temple. Did you know that God has a temple in heaven just like the there's a temple in Israel. Did you know God has a temple in heaven? God has a tabernacle in heaven. Did you know God has a throne in heaven? He's not just fly, uh, floating around in the universe. He has a throne. Before the throne is the sea of glass. He has a kingdom. Uh, he has angels. He has mighty power. And there on that throne room of God, there God is sitting on his throne, making commandments to the world, knowing all that must be done. He's sovereign God of the universe. And we're singing, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. And we're praising God. And we're singing the song of Moses. You brought us through the Red Sea, brought us to the other side, and you brought us over our enemies. And we try over the Pharaoh and the enemies of, the, uh, of Egypt. We've been brought out by the high price of the blood of the Lamb. And now we as a church says, "Woo! we got a song too. By grace we're saved. By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ came and saved our soul. And we're singing a song of the Lamb. Woo! Now look at this sea of glass and panoramic view. And there's literally a throne, literally a temple. And verse 5 through 7 says this temple begins to empty out. Now, you'll not find this in any book anywhere that you go to the bookstore. But this is exactly what's happening. Verse 5 through 7, the temple begins to empty Notice what it says. And after that, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. The doors opened. Seven angels came out of the temple. Having the seven plagues, that is the seven bowls of the wrath of God. They're clothed in pure white linen, having their breast girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts, that's one of the four beasts in Revelation 4, those angelic beasts that have four faces, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. Now, what are those bowls? What are those vials of the wrath of God? We know that in them is the wrath of God. But they were used in the Old Testament for incense. They were used in the Old Testament to bring a sweet-smelling savor. But now God is so angered that he has turned the smell of the incense and he has turned away from it and he's given the wrath in those bowls, those seven bowls of the wrath of God. And then those 
in chapter 16, 17, you see the, well, actually through, the, uh, through 18, you see these bowls, these vials of the wrath of God emptied out on earth. It's God's last time to literally devastate the entire planet. After seven bowls of the wrath of God, over probably seven, eight million people, eight billion people have died. Some to starvation, some to thirst. We'll see that in the vials. And, and what's beautiful is God has saved everybody he can. God has given chance after chance after chance. Remember last week we talked about angels flying through the heavens. Telling everybody, get, get with God. Get right with God. Talked about the uh, 144,000. And how in, in uh, chapter, what is it, chapter 13, angels flying. And, and the, God gives every opportunity for people to get saved. The temple empties. How many want to shout here in a minute? The temple empties. God is about, silence has come. I remember the um, Desert Storm War. Remember that? What was the other one against Iraq? What did they call it? I can't remember what they called it. But if you remember, Bush Sr. called that Billy Graham would come to the White House because it was such a strain on him that he wanted a man of God beside him because he chose to go against and go into war in the desert storm. Bush Jr. did the same thing. No matter what you think of these guys, at least remember this. We all need the man of God. We all need Jesus Christ. We all need strength. And, and I think they both were uncertain about what was going on. The desert storm war, war went much better than the other. But... And by the way, I don't want to sound like a doomsday preacher, but we could be in World War III by this time, uh, well, in the winter. It, it's uh, commonly now. I mean, Putin's rallying his support together right now. When you look on the news media where Putin's got the, the massive people getting together, he's getting a national stirring patriotic uh, uh, spirit going. He's trying to rally these people together because he's getting ready to take that which isn't his. And we could end up in a World War III just any moment. But then again, we could end up on the sea of glass any moment. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Woo! But notice God is about to just literally destroy everything. If you want to shout, here's going to be a good one. God needs some time alone. God needs some time alone. Because God is hurting. God doesn't want to do what he's been doing. God doesn't want to do the seven vows of the wrath of God. He doesn't want to. But he's hurting. God is a good God. And verse... 8 tells us, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. What does it say? And no man was able to enter into the temple, stay out, till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. That word fulfilled, I looked it up in the Strong's Greek concordance, and that word fulfilled means it is finished, like Jesus when he died on the cross. It means it is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. Same wording, fulfilled. So God says, this is going to do it. This is, this is going to be the end. We saw Jesus coming in glory in chapter 14. Now we see God preparing for that. And he wants some time alone. You see, God needs some time alone. I mean, remember the story of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? Remember Joseph got a raw deal, bad deal. And Joseph ended up, of course, eventually as a king, or at least under the king. He was king, and he took care of the planet, or at that time, Israel, Egypt. 
and the surrounding nations. And so Joseph is sent into, you, you know the story, I'm not going to go into the long story because of the sake, sake of time, but you, you can find it in, in uh, Genesis 43 and Genesis 45, and actually Genesis 42. You can see the laying out of this, but I want you to see this. Joseph, remember Jacob sent the boys down to Egypt to get grain. And through the process, Joseph, he's the king. And they had already sold Joseph out. He, they rejected Joseph, just like Israel had rejected Jesus. And now Joseph's on the throne, and he looks a little bit like an Egyptian. And they didn't know him. His, his brothers didn't know him. And the brothers didn't know it was Joseph, and they came in, and Joseph kept testing them, kept dealing with them to test them. And, of course, one of the great questions he asked is, is, my, is, is your father still alive? He asked about his little brother, Benjamin. Is he okay? They didn't get the hint. And remember, they went back, what was it, three times, something like that, and when they finally were brought into the place where Joseph was. Here's what it says in Genesis 43, verse 30. When he couldn't take it any longer, and he saw his brothers, Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. That's what God's doing here in in Revelation chapter 15, verse 8, that's what God's doing. He's getting alone because he don't want to do what he's doing. And it's breaking his heart. And so they rejected him. They rejected J Joseph. They rejected Jesus Christ. But notice in Genesis 45, verse 1 and 2, and Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, caused every man to go out from him, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. And one day Jesus will come, and he will make himself known unto his brother, the Israelites. See, this is what's taking place. You can't have replacement theology. You can't say the church took the place of Israel. Because if you say the church took the place of Israel, you have confused the book of Revelation. You have totally massacred any deep revelation that God would give concerning the book of Revelation. All guesswork, all imagination, all imagination. But the truth is, God Almighty will go into his temple and he'll say, I want some downtime. I want to be alone. And he'll go into that chamber and he'll be alone and he'll weep and cry out while the seven vows of the wrath of God are poured out upon the earth. And he is so troubled with Israel being pounded and pounded and the world being pounded and pounded till finally God the Father says, it's enough. Son, go take your possession. And Jesus Christ gathers his church together he gets on a white horse, and we that follow him on white horses, you say, are them, are them horses? That sounds so primitive. Not if you've seen a heavenly horse. Amen? That wouldn't be primitive at all. They probably can, they probably can run the speed of light. That's a horse. Amen? And you'll need a glorified body to stay on it. Amen? But he comes back in the valley of val the, uh, the, the battle of uh, of uh, Armageddon into the, into the valley of Megiddo, Je Jehoshaphat. And then he comes down, touches the mountain of all. We've talked about this before. He's coming back to commune with his brothers. And they're going to receive him as their Messiah. This is the picture of Revelation chapter 15. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's just as glorious and just as intoxicating, wonderful as chapter 
14 was. You see, the Bible makes sense if you'll just make sense. You can't negate what the Scripture says, and you've got to take the Old Testament. Notice I use the Old Testament to hook this together by God wanting to be alone. The, the place I find where God wanted to be alone, it was Joseph, who is a picture of Christ, and he went to be alone, and there he was alone, and he cried and he wept because he didn't know uh, they had rejected him. He hurt. And remember, when he came out the second time, chapter 45, remember, in that chapter he says, don't, don't be down on yourself. I forgive you. What you did was wrong. What you did to me was absolutely wrong, but I forgive you. God meant it for good. And that's the story of Jesus. What they did to Jesus was wrong. The Roman soldiers were wrong. The Pharisees and the scribes were wrong. The world was wrong when they rejected Jesus Christ. Israel was wrong. And it was wrong and it was bad. But when Jesus shows up at the end of the great tribulation and they see his pierced hand, his pierced sign, and they look at him and as a nation they're saved as a nation. You say, well, does that mean the whole nation is saved? Everybody in the nation? <laughs> it's going to be down to a little square of people. You've got to understand, we're talking about a little handful. And they're going to give their heart to Jesus Christ. A whole nation born again in one day. Isn't that beautiful? And I believe Jesus would simply say this. What you did was wrong. But I forgive you. What you did to me was wrong. But I forgive you. God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. So that I could save much people. Had Jesus not hanged on the cross of Calvary and died at the rejection of Israel, you and I would be lost today. But God meant it for good. And one day Jesus will come and he will forgive. And he will be the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He'll be King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming in power. Now, how many, how many would agree that chapter 15 should not be ignored? How many would agree that chapter 15 should not be put with chapter 16? How many, how many of you agree that, that preachers do, the, do their people a great injustice by just going past it? Because what we're seeing is a merciful, wonderful, incredible, Loving God at the threshold of something that he does not want to do. But it's necessary. Stand with me. God will forgive you. I don't know what you've done and you don't have to tell me. I don't know what anybody has done to you and you do not have to tell me. I don't know what you're wrestling with today, and you do not have to tell me. I don't know your past, and you do not have to tell me. In fact, I don't even want you to tell me. But whatever you've done in your life, God is big enough to take what you've done and forgive you. God is a good God. You say, how could, how could God possibly forgive me? I, I spent years believing there's no God at all. Well, God understands that. You say, well, how could God forgive me? I, I've been an agnostic or I've been an, kind of a, you know, just a wild rebel rouser, an infidel, not caring about family or anybody else. I've done wrong. I've hurt others. I want you to know God will forgive you. What's it going to take for you to get right with God? That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Plague after plague, judgment after judgment, wrath poured out, all for one purpose, 
to bring people to his son Jesus Christ to bring people to him but instead we get mad at God and we're going to see this in the next seven bold judgments where people get mad at God the sun will be seven times harder and today you can fry an egg on the asphalt in the summer now seven times harder all the polar ice caps will be melted Talk about not global warming. Talk about God warning. And we see so many things. It's going to get so bad. And what's it going to take for you to say, okay, I need need to be ready. I need to be prepared. This is going to be an invitation to you. It's still early. It's not even near 12 o'clock yet. This is going to be an invitation to you to come down here to the altar and freely receive God's mercy and His grace. To freely receive God's forgiveness no matter what you've done. God's a big God and there's nothing that He will not do. There's nothing that He has not done in order to give you eternal life because great are the works of God And he made known to the children of Israel his works, but to Moses his ways. I don't understand all the revelation, some of the things that's happening, but I understand this. I understand God saying, I want to be alone. The temple's vacated. I understand that what's about to happen with those seven bold judgments is something that God does not want to do. And he's done everything he can to get everybody saved before that time of earth's total annihilation. He wants to help you. And in the process, he will redeem Israel. It'll be a small handful of people. And he'll come and he'll set up a millennial kingdom. But the vast majority of people have already lived. The, mass, the vast majority of people have already lived their lives and the, and the vast majority of people will be during now and in the great tribulation. It will be a small flock at the culmination, at the end of the great tribulation. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. Alders open, would you come?